everybody will wait a minute for a few other people to show up. It's always nice to see people who haven't been here for a while. Hi, Erica. Nice to see you. I hope your family is well. seen you here in this room for a while. Maybe I missed you, but always good to see you somewhere. <laughs> of course, then I feel like I just want to say everybody's name. Rachel and Amy and Dan and Eric and Sarah. Good to see you all. So if you haven't already begun, please put your body in the posture of your sitting meditation. It's very helpful if you're sitting uh, as much as possible on your sits bones so that the back is very, there's an uprightness that comes from the base of the spine and goes all the way through the back of the neck. Very helpful as we establish an embodied awareness to land very fully in our physicality in whatever way works for you. Some people just feel their whole body sitting here. Some people are aware of certain parts of the body like where your body, your rear end is making contact with the cushion or the bench or the chair. Some people are aware of the contact of their clothes on their body. Some people are aware of the body breathing It's really the movement to keep body and mind together, to bring our heart and soul together as one. <clears throat> and 
in whatever way you do that, please begin to unify your consciousness in this way, either through the whole body, sitting or being aware of the breathing, Some people like to begin by being aware of sound and being starting to rest in this space where sound arises and is known. Whatever becomes the focus, the centering for your meditation, whether it's the breath or sound or the whole body, please give yourself to it fully, letting everything else be in the background for now. Letting the other experiences, thoughts, and feelings, emotions, smells, ideas, let them be in the background. And if you're just coming on now, please begin your meditation immediately. Join us fully. We welcome you. And as you begin to center yourself here in the present moment with the breath or sounds of the whole body, be as intimate as possible with the meditative process. without getting tense at all, make it the most important thing in your life in this moment.
And of course, you have the option as you guide your own meditation to either stay with the breath or the sounds or the body, which you could do for the whole meditation if you wish. Or if you feel centered, if you feel collected or composed, then open up the space of awareness to be aware of whatever's in the foreground. Meaning you may be aware of thinking or the process of thought. Or you may be aware of feelings. Or you may be aware of emotions. Or you may be aware of other sensations in addition to the breath. You may be simply aware of the places of contact. You may be aware of temperature. Or you may be aware of the changes that can happen as we sit here. Your body may feel very heavy, very dense, weighted, and you can be aware of it. Or it may feel very light almost like you're floating or the body is empty and you can be aware of it. Whatever's in the foreground of your consciousness, be aware of it. Not to be mesmerized by it or enchanted by it, but to be aware of it. For some of us, maybe it'll get very quiet, very simple, and we can be aware of that. Trust the process, trust the meditative process. See where it takes you as you give yourself to the practice of being aware, mindful, present, moment by moment by moment. Letting the practice be very simple, very direct. Simply being aware now. Letting everything else, past, future, memories, plans, let that be in the background. And if it's not, if it's in the foreground, just be aware of them for what they are right in the moment thoughts, feelings, emotions, worries, plans, wanting, not wanting. Begin to rest in the awareness itself in which all experience is known. Staying here, staying present, staying aware now.
begin with announcements. Nina, please. Good evening or greetings if you're not in, uh, if it's not evening time where you are. Uh, my name is Nina Gold and I'm one of the board members. Um, so I'm gonna say something about Donna, which we do every Sunday at this time. And as you, I think, know, this is the Pali word for generosity or giving. And um, it's how these teachings have been kept alive and it's how our Sangha is kept alive. Um, so really through your generous giving, um, if you are able to make a financial offering that supports us, and another big way that you can offer your dana is by volunteering. So everybody that volunteers for San Francisco Insight, it's all dana, the board members, um, Johnny who does our accounting. And um, I'll say that offering myself in that way, it's kind of this curious thing. I feel like when I give myself to the dharma, the dharma gives itself to me. And so through the process of being on the board, I've actually, my practice has deepened a lot and I've learned. So we're in need of a volunteer right now, um, someone who knows about social media and could help um, give San Francisco Insight a social media presence. So if this is a way that you could offer your Donna, you can reach out to me in the chat or you can go on the website and there's a link um, for volunteer information and that email usually comes to me. Um, so thank you for considering and thank you for all the ways that you show up with your beautiful and generous hearts and spirits. We feel it and we thank you. Um, a couple announcements. We have an intro class beginning September 15th. Uh, it'll be a five week series on Thursday nights with Tam Spielman and myself as the teachers. And then also we have an ongoing class on Mondays at noon called the Midday Dharma Collective. And we invite you to join us. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Nina. The talk, I'd like to begin the talk with a quote from the Dalai Lama, who said, what is the meaning of life? Now, let me just say, for those of you who may have come on late, who don't know me, I'm Eugene Cash, founder of San Francisco Insight. I'm welcoming you. And now I'll give you a quote. <laughs> um, the quote is from the Dalai Lama, who said, what is the meaning of life? He said, to be happy and useful. To be happy and useful. And you'll see that that quote, I hope, will be meaningful in terms of what I'm going to talk about tonight. And I'd like to start with uh, my day because I, I've been teach, I already taught this morning at the Gay Buddhist Fellowship in San Francisco, which I've taught at many times over the years. And um, 
and they um, and I thought I would be teaching on Zoom, and somewhere during the week they said, "Oh, you could come teach live. We do a hybrid where it's both live and Zoom." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I would love to teach live. I like being in the same room with people. I mean, I'm happy to be here with you all on Zoom, but there's something really." beyond good when we're all live in the same room together. And so I went to um, the Gay Buddhist Fellowship uh, and it was a practice to get there today because it's cross town from where I live. It's in the mission. They meet in a little Buddhist center in the mission. And, um, um, and I, I don't know if, if for those of you who are in San Francisco, it, there was a marathon here today. And so the marathon meant I couldn't get across town anywhere. Or I would get into, um, let's say, Folsom. I'm trying to get across Folsom. And and there's just runners, 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 runners. And, they, and the police are keeping all the cars from stopping the runners. Like they don't even stop the runners for a minute and let five cars go or something. It's just a line of cars. And it was really total practice to be irritated and pissed off at the runners who, I mean, actually happy for the runners, but I was not happy for the organization of the marathon and what the city did, which is let the runners just run through everything. And, um, Anyhow, so it took a long time to get there. I didn't get there on time. The sitting had already started, etc. Not my favorite way to teach, but part of what happens to all of us is nothing works right sometimes. And it stinks that way, or I have my own reaction. And part of practice is to be aware of my reaction, not just believe my reaction even though I was very, felt very reactive, but I actually, but so while I'm, you know, waiting for the cops to let me across, finally, I was the first one and uh, the first car. And, and so I talked to the cop. He said, I know this is just horrible. It's not me. I'm just doing my job. You got to talk to the higher ups. And I said, please talk to the higher ups for me. So um, I'm going to come back. Somebody said something about my screen is fuzzy. I'm going to look at yeah, it myself. Pardon? Your screen is blurry. Your, I think your camera is out of focus. Uh, well, there's nothing I can do about my camera being out of focus. It Let me see. On off. Pardon? Maybe try turning the video off and then turning back on. Okay. How about that? How does that look? <laughs> no. Okay. So, how about now? Yeah. Is that better? Great. Yeah. Thanks, Fahad. Okay. Let me go back to gallery view. Good. Um, <clears throat> is that still okay? We still good? Okay. Great. So um, anyhow, but it was great to go in person and be at at GBF, Gay Buddhist Fellowship, and teach. And I taught, I gave the a version of the talk I did here last week, which was about Paul Redd, who is a man who'd been in prison for um, 44 years and got out and then worked 
And, and I talked about his total courage and beautiful heartfulness in how he got out. And then he worked to free other prisoners who um, had been put there inappropriately or there too long in prison. And, um, and so this talk, when we had a conversation on the board at SFI, and I'd heard about this person, Pun Yu, who's an immigrant who was being who was being threatened by the um uh by being by the um I'm trying to remember the ICE ICE which is the immigration and customs enforcement uh, uh part of the government uh to be deported and he'd spent anyhow I'll tell you the story in a second but the question was about what's right action is this, am I being too political by wanting to send this message to the Sangha about this person, uh, Punyu, uh, which needs, he needs help. And the help is to advocate for him. And here, I'll read you the story. But the really the bigger question is what's right action and what's, the, what's appropriate and what does it mean to live from our dharmic understanding and what's right action in a political world in which people have really different opinions about what's right, right? And so for me, it's about how to see life and, uh, of dharma and the embodiment of that dharma being proactive not just receptive like the meditative process, but actually being proactive to make our world better, safer, and um, to hopefully decrease the suffering that's in our civic world, our political world. So Ponyu, uh, here's the story, which will get put in the chat, but you can just listen for now. He's a Cambodian genocide survivor, right? He and his family survived the, the genocide in Cambodia, and they fled to Thailand and later came to America. And when they got here from America, they dealt with the discrimination and the, the prejudice that comes often towards immigrants from different places, different countries. And they had endured poverty and violence living in Long Beach, California. And at some point, he joined a gang for protection and, and to feel belonging and safety. And it said in this story that I read that the only method of protection and survival was violence. And uh, other members of his family were being attacked by a rival gang and bullied. And so he responded to the attack and he opened fire with a, a, a gun, right? With a firearm and it resulted in his imprisonment. And he served 25 years, 25 years. So he's, he's 20 when he goes in and he's 45 now. And he serves 25 years, and then he's recommended for release by the Board of Parole Hearings because of his commitment to service, mentor, mentorship, and rehabilitation. And you hear the same kind of good-heartedness that I talked about last week about Paul Reed, who'd been in prison for 44 years before he was released. 
And, and then all he did was bodhisattva work to try to help people who were suffering and especially other prisoners who'd been put there inappropriately, which he always claimed he had, he was innocent of what he was convicted for. And so after serving these 25 years, he was recommended for early release and, uh, right, based on his service, mentorship, rehabilitation, and uh, and on his release date, the um, the prison system gave uh, contacted ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement people, to arrest on and detain him to deport him. And the only protection he can get is if the governor intervenes and gives him a pardon. And so I saw this, I read this, and I did what it asked to do, which is I called Gavin Newsom, who didn't answer the phone, but I left the message and I sent an email. Uh, but I wanted to put my voice in the mix in support of this person who's in jail and, in my opinion, should be released at this point. And... Um, and so I wanted to just put this in the newsletter. And there was a lot of debate in the board about whether that was appropriate or not. And it was a valid debate about whether that's the right thing to do. And you could see the whole uh, piece will be in, in the chat. And the, there's also a link. Uh, it was in the newsletter. It did get put in the newsletter that we sent out. So you can look there. But basically, we're asking Newsom, Newsom to pardon Poon uh, uh, so that he can be protected for de deportation. That's all we're asking, which he's already been released from jail. Now we don't want him deported because he goes back to a country where he has no family there now. And it's a whole different country than it was 25 years ago before his family fled the the horrible um, genocide that was happening in Cambodia. So the question dharmically is really what's right action? What's right, which is sometimes translated as right contact. And generally that's talked about as, you know, different as really um, acting in support of the precepts. And so to refrain from killing is part of right action. So don't kill any living beings is right action. Don't kill human beings. Don't kill any beings. Don't kill mosquitoes, right? And it's really about not harming physically, but right action is also about not harming emotionally or mentally. It's really about our relationship to life and keeping life alive in all its forms both personally and interpersonally, right? So not, not, uh, not killing ourselves in any way by denying what's true emotionally or mentally or what's difficult or what's, or what's our body's capable of or not capable of. And so it's a reference for life, for spirit itself and not killing life in all its forms which when I reflect on it, includes not killing time, not killing any part of what's here, but really being here and starting to um, um, appreciate life itself. 
And so the, the, of course, the other side of the right action is don't do this, refrain from killing. And then the positive side is a reverence for life and for the spirit of life. And that's really, it's, it's the opposite of, of uh, killing is loving all beings, loving human beings, loving ourselves with all our pluses and minuses. Because we may not be perfect, but we're we're what's lovable here. We're what's we, we this is what we this is what right action asks asks us to respect. <clears throat> Hiknat Han talks about right action, of course, as part of the Eightfold Path, also. And he says, it includes, first of all, the kinds of actions that can help humans and other living, living beings who are being destroyed by war, political oppression, social justice, and hunger. He says, I'll say it again, right? It includes, first of all, the kinds of actions that can help human beings and other living beings who are being destroyed by war like the war in the Ukraine or political oppression, which is happening a lot in our country in different ways of trying to keep people from having their voting rights even, or, or, uh, or social injustice of one group over another group, or hunger, or just the hunger for knowledge, which is part sometimes being held from people by the way politics works in our country and things get divided and economics gets divided and the capitalism gets put on the, at the front of what's the right thing to do, which is make money instead of capitalism being here to support our all having enough money so that we can live uh, kindly with for ourselves and others. And so, and he goes on to say that right action is to protect life, prevent war and serve li living beings. And we need to cultivate our energy of loving kindness to do that. And that's how he understands loving kindness. It's not just a practice of saying phrases over and over again of offering our love in, in a beautiful way. And those are all great ways to do loving kindness, but to really offer our love in our action about how we respond to the suffering of the world. And right action, as I said earlier, it's also translated as right contact, conduct, excuse me, right conduct which means one trains to be upright in one's activities and not acting in ways that would harm oneself or others or not corrupt oneself or others. And it's a beautiful practice and it's part of, it's woven into our practice totally. Even our meditation practice is part of right action. It's the action that brings an uprightness to the heart and mind. It's, a, uh, it's an action that can allow the heart to open and to love and to care and be compassionate. It's an action that helps us relax with whatever's difficult for us personally. 
R.H. Blythe said, perfection does not mean perfect actions in a perfect world. Perfection does not mean perfect actions in a perfect world, but appropriate actions in an imperfect world. And so it's really skillfulness of practice, right? So not killing, but really reverence for life. And then, of course, one of the precepts is to refrain from taking what isn't given, right? Which has to do with, first of all things, you know, don't take my money, don't take my car, don't take my iPhone, don't take my whatever, pajamas, whatever it might be, you know, don't take something. If we, if we were all in the meditation hall together, I'd say, don't take my cushion. Um, right? But letting go of the belief or the idea or the misunderstanding or the illusion that our freedom or happiness comes from outside of us. So part of what we're not taking is not taking anything for granted, right? Sometimes it's called not stealing. But the positive side is we see that really what we want is not outside of us. It's right here. It's seeing the beauty of life, the goodness of life, the richness of consciousness that what we actually seek is right here. In the Zen, they have this phrase, in the suchness of mind and heart, the objects and the gate of, of liberation is open. In the suchness of mind, heart, and objects, like they're one thing, the gate of liberation is open. And of course, sometimes right action is non-action is just relax. Even Jerry Brown, who actually, I was gonna say he was the governor. I, no, he's not the governor anymore. Jerry Brown, he was the governor, that was right. And Gavin Newsom's the governor now. Um, um, he said, sometimes the highest form of action is inaction. The highest form of action is inaction. And what is meant by that is right action means stop, pause, look, listen, be aware, see what's true, see what's needed, and then we can respond skillfully. Then our action comes out of our understanding, comes from wisdom. And it's not always, and the wisdom doesn't mean we always do something. The, one of my favorites, and koan stories it goes one day chow chu fell down in the snow and called out help me help me get up a monk came by and lay down beside him chow Cho got up and went away <laughs> that's a whole story i hope i hope that I don't know how that conveys on Zoom, but I'll say it again one day chow Cho fell down in the snow and called out help me help me up Help me up. And a monk came and, and laid down next to him. Chow Chu got up and went away. And so help comes, right action can come in mysterious ways, paradoxical ways. Sometimes not doing anything 
is the help that's needed for someone just to be next to them so that they can to do what's needed so they can get up and take care of themselves. And sometimes it means really doing what we can, really being proactive in a more conventional way. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. He said, we are visitors on this planet. We are here for 90, 100 years at the very most. During that period, we must try to do something good, something useful with our lives. Of course, echoing what the Dalai Lama said about to be happy and useful is what we need to do. Life is about being happy and useful. And, and Martin Luther King said, um, during this period of our, of our life, we must try to do something good, something useful with our lives. Try to be at peace with yourself and help others share that peace. If you contribute to others' happiness, you will find the true goal, the meaning of life. And that's echoed over and over again in Buddhism. It's just, there's something about really seeing, realizing, being aware of our collectivity and our communality, communality that is so important. And here I'm gonna, this is a little aside, it just came to mind. I'm writing something about my past and I've been in contact with the people I did street theater with in New York City 50 years ago. It's a radical political street theater 50 years ago. And when we left New York in like 1972, something, we became a commune in Oregon. And so I've been in touch with these people that I lived on a commune with. And so we had this communality, communality, both when we were on the commune, but we had it in before because we were so devoted to what we cared about, which was freedom. And the freedom then was very political. It was against the war. It was against racism. It was against capitalism also, to be honest. And, and it was, and we wanted everybody to be free. And we thought we had the answer, which we had maybe little answers, but we didn't have the answer. But the collectivity of our heartfelt love and care about freedom connected us forever. So now I'm talking to some people I haven't spoken to in 30 years, something like that. And just in a minute, it's like, oh, we're family because of that heartfelt connectivity. So that's just a little aside. That wasn't really thought out in my talk, but, but uh, right action, which I did want to keep talking about, Again, Thich Nhat Hanh keeps talking about it. It's the action of touching love and preventing harm. He says, there are, so, there are many things we can do. We can protect life. We can practice generosity, dana, which Nina was talking about earlier, that that's part of our communality is it's really, we give to one another, we give of our kindness. In this case, you know, we're talking about, in SFI, we're talking about financial resources, but also volunteering is a gift, right? 
or how we treat one another is a gift to whoever you're with, right? That's dana. That you could think of it as a practice of dana wherever you are. And Thich Nhat Hanh, he says, we can practice generosity. The first person who receives something from an act of giving is the giver. The first person who receives something from an act of giving is the giver. And that's, that's good dharma, what Thich Nhat Hanh is saying. Hmm. And Thich Nhat Hanh, I read a whole talk he did about it. And he, he talks so much about our seeking pleasure and pleasure calling suffering, causing suffering in different ways. And he says there's positives, and he was talking about tourism, tourism, you know, being a tourist. He said there are positive ways to practice being a tourist, seeing new countries, meeting new people, being in touch with cultures and societies that are different from ours. That's excellent, he says. He says, but there are also those who visit Thailand, Philippines, or Malaysia just for the sake of consuming drugs or hiring prostitutes. And then he does a long thing about the suffering that comes through that kind of seeking pleasure in a way that's harmful, that hurts people, and especially about the young people, children in the sex industry, which I'm unaware of, right? I mean, I know it vaguely, but then even reading what he said in terms of the numbers of children involved, right? It's just, it's just um, horrifying to see what's in the world and what can we do about it, right? Mm. And he says, we don't know how to help these people. He said, but if we can find a few minutes a day to help, and he's talking about the children, suddenly the windows open and we get more light and fresh air. We can relieve our own difficult situation by performing acts of generosity. Important to discuss the, these situations with your Sangha and see what you can do to stop the waves of people who profit from the sex industry, right? These are all acts of generosity, acts of protecting life. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to spend months and years to do something. A few minutes a day can help. And part of this talk also got inspired by something I read from James Baldwin, who is just a brilliant person. And um, it was, I'm not sure how I got to it. It was looking, I know, here's how I got to it. I was reading an article about black horror films, black horror films, right? Horror films about black people and now made by black people. And it was going through all, and it was talking about the difference. It was by a woman, uh, Gabrielle Below, and she, um, and she was talking about it um, from the perspective of racism in the movies. And she quoted James Baldwin. She said, uh, after The Exorcist, let me just see for a second. How many people remember The Exorcist? Just raise your hands. Okay, great. The Exorcist, if you haven't seen it, you know, it was like a great horror movie 
at that time. You know, it scared scared people, scared me. And, and it was weird and wild and, you know, strange, but, you know, it was a movie, right? And Baldwin shared a brief but biting response to that film in a book or, or a manuscript, an essay called The Devil Finds Work. The Devil Finds Work. And of course, The Exorcist was about the devil. And he goes on to say, or she goes on to say, talking about it. She said the film follows bedeviled, a bedeviled priest's attempts to save a girl who's become possessed by no less, excuse me, who's become possessed by no less than Satan himself and, um, and become emblematic of an outlandish horror, especially for the lurid scene, scene in which the girl's head twists 360 degrees around on her neck. And if you saw the movie, you saw that. That was a big deal. You know, it's like if my head could turn around, right, without moving in position. And Baldwin felt it was horrific not the movie, Baldwin felt that it was horrific for an altogether different reason, that white Americans could watch it and feel a terrified uh, emotion and that white Americans, uh, excuse me, could watch it and feel a terrified emotion, uh, but no real fear. By contrast, when imagining the everyday horrors of life as a black American, in other words, they could watch this movie and have all this fear, but not feel real fear by contrast when imagining the everyday horrors of life as a Black American, right? To Baldwin, the film was a series of cheap thrills, cinematic legerdemain designed to terrify and titillate white Americans who would likely have little or no idea of what it would be like to be treated as inhuman monsters, as gruesome things. And then she's quoting, quoting uh, uh, Baldwin, who said, the mindless and hysterical banality of the evil presented in The Exorcist is the most terrifying thing about the film. He writes, the Americans, he continues, should certainly know more about evil than that. If they pretend otherwise, they are lying, and any Black person can call them on this lie. One who, one who has been treated as the devil recognizes the devil when they meet. One who has been treated as the devil can recognize the devil as they meet. And so part of right action is looking clearly at the world we live in and seeing what does it mean to respond, right? What's right action? And of course, part of right action is, is compassion, is karuna, is learning how to empathize with the suffering of others and the fear of others. And so it's a compassion that's rooted in seeing things as they are. Saito Uteshaniya said this, in Vipassana, we want to know what's happening, why it is happening, and what we should do about it. 
We want to know what is happening, why it is happening, and what should we do about it. The Buddha said it a little differently. The Buddha said, however many holy words you read, however many you speak, what good will they do you if you do not act upon them? And it's a challenge to all of us to live the Dharma, to live our understanding, to live and act in our world. And I'll end with a quote somebody sent me from Leonard Cohen that many of you may know from his song. And the, the quote is, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is no crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Excuse me, there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it's pointing at the, the humanness of who knew, who, you know, did a bad thing when he was a young man, or the same with Paul Red last week, who did bad things. But, but the bells that can still ring, right? Because there's a crack, a crack in which everything, right? There's a crack in all of us. And that's how the light gets in. We don't want to lose touch with that light. So as you know, I like to hear what you have to say about what I've said. Thoughts, opinions, agreements, disagreements. There's a lot in the chat. I don't read all the chat when I'm giving the talk. So if you put something in the chat you want me to respond to, raise your hand now and let's talk about it. I'm happy to respond. And it was one of the really fun things about being live today in a room with people where it was like we could just talk together and people were much less, you know, hidden than on, um, than on Zoom. So, okay, and please you raise your hand and I'll call on you. Rachel, please uh, unmute yourself. Hi. Hi, Judy. Hi. Um, hi, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, yeah, so I think a lot, um, I've moved away. Oh, I've moved away as you as you know, and, um, but I, you're still very much with me in the Sangha and, I think a lot about, you used to tell a story about the hardening of the heart. It was yes. kind of a personal, it was like a personal story. You felt yes. that it was happening to you. Yeah, it had happened to me. And um, I think about it a lot because I'm often very tempted to let my heart harden, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and I have to really watch it, watch it. And um, anyway, I, I I would appreciate any, I know it's off topic, but no, no, it's not off top. Remember, um, what we're talking about is a heartfelt response to what's true in the world. And that's really important. And so the heart is always something we're looking at in the biggest sense of heart-mind, right? And um, the quote, you're, you're, you're quoting me about the hardening of the heart comes from the Jewish tradition, it's one of the atonements that you atone for. It's one of the sins 
that you atone for in the high holidays in Judaism. And I realized my heart had hardened because of a broken heart. And I realized I didn't want that to happen. And I was in, I was actually visiting, I was in Jerusalem when, when I was reflecting on all of this, when I, I did the, the holy days in Jerusalem and, um, and in Israel. And then, uh, and I went to the Wailing Wall and I asked, what should I do about the hardening of the heart? Because in the Jewish tradition, that's what you do when you're at the, the, the wall of the old temple, the Western Wall. And I got an answer from God. And when you get an answer from God, at least when I do, I'm going to listen. And the, the answer I got surprised me because it wasn't the answer I wanted. And the answer was meditate. It wasn't unharden your heart or do something. It was meditate. And so one of the things I would say to you is, okay, let your heart harden. Go ahead, let it harden and see what happens. See how you like a hardened heart. Because I didn't like having a hard heart. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. And it was so much, it's so much, I could put this many different ways. I'm going to put it. It's so much more fun to have an open heart. And I mean both small F and big F fun. Because then the whole world comes in and out of the heart. Life is in and out of the heart. Even the people we are mad at, they're still in our hearts. And that's really important. Is that okay? Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Okay. Pam Smithers. Hi. Thanks for calling on me. Sure. Um, can can you can you um, adjust your screen a little? So there we go. Hi. There you are. Hi. I don't. I've got my phone, so I'm just yeah pointing my phone at my face, and yeah. sometimes I just rest it on my knee, and that's. Well, if, if you if you it's easier if you rest it too because it won't move so much and we'll we'll deal with it if we only get half your face it's <laughs> right okay. right um so i just had two thoughts you know you started by wondering whether you should bring up this topic of this this man who killed who someone but deserved mercy whether you should bring that up or not and I, I come here, I listen to your talks, I listen to a few other different people's talks. And, you know, I guess what I would say, I mean, I've heard people say that in Buddhism, the idea is don't say something unless it's true and useful. Mm -hmm. And so then I guess that would be up to you to decide if you think it's useful, you know, to tell mm -hmm. us all that. I know mm -hmm. that a lot of people are, there are so many terrible things happening in the world that a lot yes. of people are, are overwhelmed. And yes. it, it, it can, you know, you have to have strategies for, for dealing with everything. And you so have to, wait, wait, you have to have what strategies for, for dealing with everything. I'm, that so, comes I'm at sorry. Us. I'm not, you're breaking up oh, sorry. Uh, for me. Strategies. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to switch. Cause I can't tell if this is, is, is she breaking up for everybody else or not? Okay. So um, so let me take these out. These sometimes don't work. So let me see. 
shoot. I'm going to restart them. Well, it's not terribly important. What, what wait, I wait, 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 wait. I want to hear you. Go ahead. Um, well, I was that that we all need, or at least I know I do, need strategies for dealing with, you know, to to as the Dalai Lama said, to lead a happy life. You know, because yes. if we we aren't happy, we can't spread happiness, and then then we failed or not failed, but we're not helping things. So how do we deal with everything that comes with us, at us and still be happy? So we need some kind of strategies for that. And I so so whether you should bring that up or not, I mean, listening to you honestly about him and. Mm -hmm. I personally would rather hear generic advice. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. listening to that and I'm trying, I'm distracted by trying to decide what is this? What is what happened to him? What, ha you know, but that's just- Well, have you ever problem. had any problems? That a you lot, didn't... I've had a lot, yeah, I have had. Right, I have. so you can just, I, I mean, I understand it's a radical um, uh, situation compared to most of us, his, but also it's the same principles always about dukkha and the end of dukkha and right. how, what is right action, what is right response for your neighbor who maybe has fallen down and hurt themselves and they can't cook. And so maybe you go over there and you bring some food for them or what's needed, what's right action in your life. I'm exactly. not saying, right, yeah, and that's exactly. all. Right. And so that's part I'm saying something now about how to listen to Dharma talk, which may not be speaking to you in terms of the content, but the principles are there. Right. Well, and so I just I'll finish with this. I sure I saw a friend of mine gave me this and a guy by the name of Howard Zinn, maybe you know him, but um, he wrote this thing about being hopeful in bad times. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought this was, if you don't mind, I'll read it really quickly. It's a couple of paragraphs. It's pretty quick. Maybe it, it, it's applicable to acting, you know, your idea to act, we need to act. And he talks tell, about, tell, okay, but say what moved you about it. That's what I well, want to hear. Because it actually moved me to act. And so this, <laughs> I'll just be the second paragraph. He says, and if we do act in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presence. And to live now, as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. He's basically giving yeah, us hope. Beautiful, yeah, yeah beautiful, that, yeah. And so that we can all, we don't have to solve the Cambodian guys, you know, we can, like we babysat for our son's dog this weekend. That was really great for him, you know, and, and all the little things, you know, like it, yeah. doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be so big, you know, I mean. Sure, sure, sure. I'm, I'm totally guess, agreeing with you, Pam, really. Yeah. And, and, but all I'm saying is this was something that moved me. And I just thought, and it wasn't like I'm telling everybody, I, I hope everybody knows I'm that saying, oh, you all have to support, support this guy. I'm just saying, this is something moved me. And if you're moved by it, maybe you would support him also, period. Okay. All right. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Take care. Okay. Thank you, Pam. Amy.
Well, th this is really interesting. First, I wanted to say to, to Nina, I'm, I'm, I would be your person. I would be so perfect for social media content creation and management. Great. So I will email and reach out. We're, we're, but, we're, we're accepting that. Okay. Um, but as far as um, what we're talking about now, it's so interesting that this came up tonight because earlier today I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I was listening to a talk you gave like, over a year ago in April and you shared something that was so moving. A woman, you shared like, I mean, I couldn't see the video, but you played a video where a woman was, make, was making the distinctions between a looter a, a rioter and a protester and just was talking about, you know, the monopoly of Rosewood and all of these things. And it was this extremely powerful and moving video. I mean, that I heard just audio of and nobody commented after it. And I was, I, first of all, I was so, I was so moved by the fact that you shared that in Sangha because I've been around a lot of Sanghas for many years, you know, a lot of, I've been in the spiritual community for a while and spiritual bypassing was something that I had a problem with, which is why I never really clung to any particular song. I just floated around for decades because mm -hmm. there was part of me, which is probably the brown part that understands where this woman is coming from, that I felt mm -hmm. was never heard or acknowledged in a way where I felt seen or that problem felt seen or this woman's anger felt seen. And mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to say that, hmm. and the other thing I was thinking about is I thought, well, why didn't anybody comment on the video you sh Eugene shared? Because he, he, play, he, he really dedicated so much of that meeting to that video, and then it went unacknowledged at the end. Why? And then I just thought to myself that it might've, I think sometimes things are too much for people to process. And sometimes I, that's true and that woman was discussing a lot and a lot of it mm -hmm. goes really deep right and um and i and and there was part of me that just started to move in the direction instead of the direction of why but like oh well you know maybe that's a lot to process and it'll process in its own way over time just like how there are parts of me that are so different from who i was 20 or 30 years ago that took mm -hmm. time yes. um so slow down, slow down a little, because really important what you're saying, because you're because what I hear is you there was a shift in perspective that happened for you. And that's really important about as the basis for right action is seeing maybe our first response. That's true. And we want to be aware of that. But then more more understanding may happen over time. And you started to see, oh, maybe this is too much for people. Maybe. And so, or maybe it'll happen over time. They'll get more over time. And that's also a really important dharmic perspective. One of my colleagues, she always says, she, the way she talks about meditation, whenever it's a problem, she always says, back up, back up, back up get the big picture. And there's something in us that relaxes when we get the big picture, when there's more understanding of what's true and of what all the components that may come to even what's being taught now and how that might help people five years from now in ways we can't even imagine. Also, look at what's happening that the, the video is now being discussed over mm -hmm. a year later. 
you yes. know, through me mysteriously listening to these old, you know, talks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like, you know, that's, um, so I just want to say thank you for bringing, you know, all, all of these issues to the surface for the Sangha, because who knows? I mean, what you said tonight could have been so moving for someone who's going to be listening. Right. Well, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see, but it's really know. what, what for me, I want, I want the truth of anybody's response here now. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in what's true because we're doing this together, all of us, right? Even when we don't agree, it's really important to have not just what I'm saying, but whatever anybody is saying who disagrees with me as well as agrees with me. I like the agreement, but I also like the disagreement because I learn from people who disagree with me. Okay. Good. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Christy. Christy, please unmute yes. yourself. I'm not seeing you. Uh, and please, okay. yeah, there you are. Can you see me? I can see you You're sideways, but you know, I'm I'm okay. sideways sometimes. There you go. Very That's great. Good. Um, Thank you. Hi, Eugene. Hi. Uh, I'm the like first time caller, long term listener. Okay. Um, we. Where, I just where are to... you? Where Where oh. are you? And Christy, where are you? Where are you? Pismo Beach. Pismo? Pismo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. Then California, Pismo. if you're not in California, Pismo Beach, it's California. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to share this because it was very personal to me, and I'm seeing how like our actions can really have this ripple effect of you just never know. Um I met you when I went to my very first Vipassana retreat in like 2010 at Spirit Rock. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had a very long <laughs> career in CDCR in the prison system. Mm -hmm. And I was a mental health therapist there for 15 years. Mm. And because of I the bow retreat, to you. <laughs> <laughs> Because of the first retreat I did and really just loving the Dharma and how it had helped me work through some things, I decided to start teaching basic mindfulness to my group of drug addicted, mentally unwell people who were going to be getting out on the streets one day mm -hmm. and encouraged a meditation practice and saw absolute miracles happening in the lives of these people when they learned how to quiet their mind. And so now that I am away from that, I had to pull out for my own kind of health and mental health when it got too much. Mm -hmm. I'm finding other ways to contribute, but um, I just wanted to kind of put a plug out there. If anybody ever wants a really solid volunteering opportunity you can go and meditate in one of our institutions or you can um share you know the benefits of your practice you can send it up to those that are locked away or are unable to do this there's all kinds of ways that we can still 
um, kind of participate at the level that we are able to in our own lives. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. It's so important. And we have, I know we have people in our Sangha who work in prisons and volunteer in prisons and how important it is because it so humanizes the people in prisons when you meet them and get to know them and work with them and meditate with them. And it so changes the whole perspective of who they are and what they are, whatever they've done. You still see the humanness there and the goodness that's there and the heartfulness, right? That, that you know, whatever crack brought them in there, it's their, their people and they're good people and more can happen than we know. Like, you know, like happened with, with Paul Red and, and with Pun Yu. And, and let's support that in my opinion. So thank you. Thanks. Great. Bye. Glad you, you joined us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Happy. Hi, Happy. Hi, Eugene. It's been a while. Great to see yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I really like your talk today. Um, and I think in terms of appropriate action and right action, so I guess I am sometimes confused when I try to make right action. I mean, I know that's what I aspire to, but I, for example, right now I'm trying to make a very important decision. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of choosing between two options. And then it's kind of confusing because I feel like there's parts of me that like both sides of the um, options. Mm -hmm. And, but I also know there's a lot of fear around one where that creates more uncertainty in the future. So yeah, I guess I'm curious about if you have suggestions on how do we figure out what is the right action or appropriate action? Well, keep sitting with it and also um, uh, use your friends mm -hmm. and people you trust who you can talk to and keep bouncing it off them and keep so you're 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 getting some collective intelligence in addition to your own to look at the question because you're going to have certain reactions or fears or uh, that may or may not be helpful yeah. and then if somebody else who who's in a more neutral place because it's not about them right? It's, they might be able to be a little more objective. And that's what, that's how I hear what you're looking for is a kind of a objective response to what's right action. I think both that and I guess like a lot of times, I mean, I talked to a few friends about a situation and I think they're kind of like, oh, you have to know what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like, oh, I'm kind of confused because both option give me different things that I want. Right. So I think yeah, it's more okay. like I, I think I'm trying to tune into what works best for me internally. Uh, sounds like an important thing to do. So I hope you can take as much time as possible mm. to, to really get clear about what's right action for you. Mm. And then if you have to make a decision, trust yourself, whatever you decide. Because the worst that could happen is it'll be the wrong thing <laughs> and you'll do something else because we're not perfect right but 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 if you keep staying close to yourself 
that's where the answer will be found. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I think, well, that's a good place to end. I'm going to go back to gallery view. Okay, everybody will do a little bit of, uh, of merit. Um, just say I won't be here for the next two weeks. I think Pam Weiss is here next week, and then Don Neal is here the week after, and then I'll be back in three weeks. I'm going to be on retreat for a little while. Okay, um, and just to say, you know, appreciating our time together, that we can be together, that we can talk about these things, that we can explore, that we have the, the uh, place and space and teachings and presence to really explore what's true and what's right action. And may this good fortune we have that allows us to be here, may it go out in every direction, in every world, touching beings in all realms, all worlds. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from confusion, from misunderstanding, from dukkha. May all beings really get clear about what's the right action that brings freedom for all beings. May all beings awaken. May we awaken together. May all beings be free. Okay. See you all in a few weeks. Be well. Josh, call me. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Leanne, I owe you an email. It's coming. <laughs> Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.